Oh, Jeff Foxworthy here. Now, if you've ever found yourself repeating the same thing over and over for 75 years, you might be Smokey Bear. Only you can prevent wildfires. That's why I'm filling in for Smokey to switch things up, because there's a lot more to say. And I should know, because my grandfather was a firefighter. And one of the things he taught me is that the people that love the outdoors the most are often the ones accidentally starting wildfires. Which means, always BYOB. <laughs> no, bring your own bucket to the campfire. And be extra careful with things like burning yard trimmings. Don't just walk away, or chances are, you might be starting a wildfire. So for the love of the outdoors, go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Happy birthday to you. My son, Levi, was so proud to turn three, but he will never get the chance to turn four. I'm Nicole Hughes, Levi's mom. And while on a family vacation, his childhood was snatched away when I turned to close a bag of chips. He was sitting on the couch surrounded by friends, and I split a brownie with him. And then somehow he slipped out the back door unnoticed, down a flight of stairs and fell into the pool. When I jumped in to grab my son, the other half of the brownie was still in my mouth. I never thought my child would drown, but I was wrong. Drowning is the single leading cause of death for children ages one to four. It is silent and fast, and it can happen even when you aren't swimming. Drowning is preventable. Please talk with your pediatrician about how you can keep your child safe. We share the same hometown. We cover the stories that matter the most to you. We warn and protect you in times of trouble. We are your local broadcasters. Reaching more people, touching more lives. Arnie Sherman, good morning to you. How are you? You know, suffering through like everyone else, but you know, that's not much of a inconvenience in order to be safe and keep everybody else safe. So, um... We're still in the midst of uh, of the COVID pandemic, and Montana's uh, trying to do the right thing. And you know, I think we're doing better than uh, than average. And on today's show, we have Leslie and Ed Weatherby from the Old Sawmill District talking about how the real estate market, how real estate in Missoula, is being affected, impacted, the trends. You know, as we are in the midst of uh, you know COVID nineteen, I think it's right. an interesting topic to discuss in terms of, uh, you know, are we getting out of state people wanting to move here? Uh, you know, what's the housing market look like? Uh, you know, what's happening in commercial real estate, you know, the many big projects being contemplated and, uh, and, uh, some of them, as we know, uh, are now, uh, you know, back on the shelf and are not being built. So uh, I'd, I'd like to see, you know, in that particular area, um, how, uh, how things are progressing and, and where we stand here in Missoula. Absolutely. And as we know, they're great guests, Ed and Leslie. They have a lot going on. And uh, they'll not only talk about Old Sawmill, but also just what else is going on in Missoula and Western Montana. We can always count on them for, for that type yeah. of insight. Yeah, yeah. We want, we want the big picture. We want to know what they're, what they're contemplating themselves, but how, how they fit into the bigger picture of what's going on in our community. 
Absolutely. So when we come back, our guests will be Leslie and Ed Weatherby from the old Sawmill District. Back after this. We are back. Our guests are Ed and Leslie Weatherby from the old Sawmill District. Leslie, Ed, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Thanks. Doing great. Thank you. Nice day today, Missoula. Happy, Happy to be here. You know, summer in Missoula is a, is a nice day every day, pretty much. So, uh, you know. We're looking forward to continuing this as long as we can. Um, one of the things I think that Scott and I are interested in is, is quite a, sort of what's happening in general in terms of real estate trends in Missoula. We know there have been articles uh, you know, lately about how out-of-staters are rushing real estate offices and looking to buy property here and, and property uh, value mean, median home prices of have gone way up from they were a couple of years ago. What's your take on if you put your hand on the pulse right now of, of Missoula, how things are going here? I would say we have a very active real estate market. Our inventory is still fairly low. And so we're seeing properties go really quickly when on the market. And we have the median home price is continues to rise. Um, but I wouldn't say it's just people from out of state that are rushing here. There may be some of that, but I, I still think that just the people that live here are, um, we're seeing a lot of first time home buyers and we're seeing people who are moving up and some who are downsizing. So, um, it's really interesting when houses do come on the market, they go fairly quickly. I think there's another element too on the supply side that, um, starting, Back even, you know, 12 years ago or so when we went through our last recession, that there has been a, a general, um, lack of, of, uh, not lack, but a, 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 a slowdown, I guess, in terms of the number of units that had typically come on the market every year. So there's a little bit of catch up going on here and almost everywhere. And as you read, uh, about home, some of the larger home builders, they'll all tell you that they have taken basically been out of the market uh, for a year or two at a time. And, uh, and I, I think that has, that has a significant impact on some of what's going on here. Would you also say that it's a, a fair, I guess, assessment that uh, the, the COVID pandemic has, has led to less people interested in moving they're sort of honkering down into the, their homes and where they're living now and are less likely to move that's a really good observation i it's really hard to measure that sort of thing but it sure feels socially culturally like like there's a lot of that that people are settling in they just don't want to disrupt what's already a very disruptive world and uh, they're hunkering down. So that, that may be keeping some of the product off the market. You know, and which w- would make sense in terms of the impact, which is driving up, uh, um, you know, median home prices. I think 2019 over 2018 in Missoula, we had a, a, almost a 9% median home price increase. I think that's the largest one-year increase in, you know, in, in the last, you know, 20 years or so. Yeah. You know, part of that is demand driven. Part of that is, and, and the demand I think is influenced by low interest rates. Um, 
We're also seeing that appraisals are going up because the construction costs are going up. Um, but I would also just remind people that you know, Missoula is still a very affordable place to live if you compare it to other similar places in the Rocky Mountain region, for sure. Um, it's, I just came back from a, a long weekend in Colorado and it feels like prices here are half of what they are there. And that's not to say that it makes it good. It's just to say that we need to make sure we keep everything in perspective. Well, even in Bozeman, the median home price now is 477, which is a lot more than Missoula. So even within Montana, you see those just the, the, those uh, wide differences. It is. I hear from clients quite frequently that the prices in Bozeman are much higher than what is in Missoula. And a lot of what uh, drove those prices up are a lot of the second home buyers. Sure. And are we seeing a number of those here? What's, what's your take on second home buyers in Missoula? You know, I think we have some. I don't think we have it like what Bozeman has. There's not quite as many. But Montana's a beautiful place to be, and a lot of times people want to spend their other time here. One of the interesting things that we found, though, uh, when we were building the polysquare condos, we had a, a probably about 30% of our buyers were second-home buyers. But after living here, a lot of those people decided to move here full-time. So that dropped to about 18%. We also have a, we also have a number of people who have decided to make Missoula home and their home base, but they spend maybe the winter season somewhere else. Is that right? Are you seeing are you seeing downsizing happening in Missoula with respect to you know getting out of a a bi level ranch um, in town and kind of moving over to your to your area because it's more convenient, no you know common groundskeeping and things of that nature. Yes, definitely. Um, a lot of our buyers, that's exactly what they did. They're, you know, they want to be traveling more. They're retired now. They want to be traveling more or they're just, you know, they're still working, but they just don't want to have, um, the hassle of having to take care of a yard and they want to have a smaller place. Um, and they want the community. I, th- I think we're really seeing that. So people, you know, they were noticing that, gosh, they just really didn't ever see their neighbors. And uh, we've really built a wonderful community here. And we kind of helped try to really start that with the condos and with the apartments that can be in place. But the residents there really embraced it and took off with it. So we're seeing just it's it's wonderful how people are really enjoying spending their time with neighbors. So for our, our listeners who are not familiar with Old Sawmill District or new listeners who haven't uh, or are new to town, why don't you give us the overview of what, of what's happened there? Sure. Uh, it's quite a, it's quite a story actually that began, you know, let's say a hundred years ago or longer with the Northwest part of the United States being <clears throat> industrialized, so to speak, with the timber industry and logging and, um, and r- the rivers were a very, important part of the commercial system network in this part of the country. So whether it's creating electricity or floating logs down to, to sawmills, which was the case here, um, rivers were very important. And of course, Missoula is at, in a valley with a number of large rivers feeding into it and the Clark Fork River, river running right through 
city. And so this was the home of a sawmill for many generations. And in fact, the Polly Square condominiums are named after uh, Edgar Polly, Polly's, who, which, whose family operated the initial mill here. But as times changed, the economics changed, and in the early 90s, this facility was abandoned. Uh, it was most recently operated by International Paper at that point, who actually had then uh, been working with Idaho Timber. But nonetheless, it had been shut down, and uh, it became a, a large eyesore and um, blighted area here right in the middle of Missoula on the river, right in the middle of town. We call it the core of Missoula, the heart of Missoula. And so we were invited by the mayor um, to see what we could do. And after several false starts with other developers, uh, he, he came to us and asked if we could find a way to redevelop this area. So we formed an entity called Mill Site Revitalization Project. We had some nice um, help. Uh, and which was committed and required at that time dealing with the Superfund nature of the site, the floodplain, um, and, and all of the old infrastructure here that all of which had to be deconstructed and, uh, and, and basically we had to start over. So starting about 18 years ago or so, we undertook this as an effort to get first get control of the land do all the cleanup and create what we think is and always has had the opportunity to be this really cool new mixed use com- new community, a riverfront urban community right in the heart of Missoula. And so we're about a third of the way down that road now. And uh, we, we've got some new stuff on the horizon. Um, it's uh, it's pretty exciting and uh, just seems to fit really well with what's going on in Missoula. So what do we have now that's, uh, you know, opened and operating? And what are the things that you can reveal that are on the horizon that are going to add to the community? So the buildings that uh, that are completed, we have the Sawyer, which is a student living, um, re- it's student residences. That one opened about a year ago. And then we have Poly Square Condos, which consists of four different buildings. Cambium Place, which is uh, high-end apartments for rent and a commercial space as well, so it's a mixed-use building. And we are about to start construction in a few weeks on our OSD Tech Campus. So what does that going to look like, Le- Leslie? So we're starting with two buildings um, that are both three stories. It's going to be just beautiful. There's a sky bridge that connects them, and it'll be about 45,000 square feet. That will be on the north side of Wyoming. So this will be the first um, time that we've crossed Wyoming Street and are starting construction on the north side of Wyoming now. That is that is the start of what we've designated as the OSD Tech Campus. And the idea there is to is to encourage and recruit companies that have innovative technology, uh, can bring great jobs to the to Missoula, and are very focused on on kind of creating the next generation of tech companies and culture here in Missoula. And is there an anchor tenant already uh, uh, selected, already committed to that project? There is. We have a company that actually has some early roots here in Missoula called Advanced Technology Group. 
they expanded uh, dramatically and they've done a great job hiring local people, training local people. Um, and they, in fact, are a tenant here in Cambium Place, been a, a great partner. And they were recently acquired by a Fortune 500 company called Cognizant. And Cognizant and HEG together have committed as the anchor tenant in this new project um, and will be here for a long time. So that's been, that's really been the catalyst to help make all of this happen. And just to put it in perspective, we have about 350,000 square feet of these various projects already constructed here. And the new project, as Leslie said, is, is roughly 45,000 square feet. But that's maybe one fifth of what we expect the tech campus to be when it's built out. So that's a, that's a, a the start of what will be a significant new addition to Old Salmo District and to Missoula. And in 40, just to, just so we can put it in, a, in perspective, in, a, in two buildings with 45,000 square feet, how many people will be working in, in a, a build, in a complex that size? You know, that's a, it's a good question that I think deserves a little bit of, of explanation. And, you know, it comes back a little bit to the discussion about COVID, but we think there's something on the order of 300 to 400 employees in these first two buildings. But part of that uh, needs more explanation in, in the sense that the workplace is changing and more people are working from home and they've created a really interesting dynamic that will probably support more than just the people and more than just the number of desks in this building and they have or buildings and they have, they intend to bring customers uh, and clients and you know, other employees from other parts of the world here for training purposes um, and to experience Missoula and to, um, and to build on, on what they have now. So it's, it's a very interesting expansion for Cognizant and we're really pleased and proud to say that they've chosen Old Samuel District and Missoula as a, as a place to be. You know, you mentioned obviously an interesting um, consequence of uh, of the COVID pandemic, which is people working at home before they ever anticipated they were going to be working at home, or maybe even ever thought about working at home. I I have, as you do, a number of friends and colleagues whose companies have told them not to come back to the office until the end of the year. And they're working, you know, from, you know, makeshift offices, or maybe they had a home office, but they're, they're learning how to do their job and companies are learning how to run their business with a very, you know, geographically dispersed workforce now. I think that's true, but I'll also add that there are companies that have had remote workers for many years I've also said that there is value and a lot of value in workers, employees being able to gather on a face-to-face basis for various projects. And that doesn't mean all the time, but, but some of the time. And there are certain projects and certain people that need to be able to do that to effectively complete their work. Right. So it's just, like, you know, the, the discussion or debate about, uh, 
uh, coming back to school and whether you you know can do it all remotely. And you know the answer is in many many uh, disciplines in many many areas you cannot just do it by, via the internet. There has to be lab experiences. There has to be interaction in groups. There has to be the ability to uh, you know to be in a facility at some point in time for many different uh, uh, career um, focuses. I, I do believe that to be true. I also believe that there is a, a bit of a subculture here in Missoula where we have a lot of people working here and making great livings by working remotely for companies that are not in Missoula. So I think it works both ways. And it's, uh, it's a, it, I think it's a significant part of our next generation of work. Right. The whole, the whole area of telecommuting is just in its infancy. Hey, Scott, what, what, what about your three? Uh, college age kids. What, what's the fall look like for them? Well, it's a good question. I think two of my sons who are in school will be back on campus. Um, whether they're going to be physical classes or just, you know, virtual and then labs that are physical. Um, one in Colorado, one in California. And then the other is in Seattle, but he's been working out of Missoula. Um, to your point, been telecommuting, working remotely as is his girlfriend. So I think people are comfortable working in that scenario. And to your point already, companies are saying don't come back until the end of the year. So um, why leave Missoula when you can be, you know, versus being in a big city? I think I'd rather be in Missoula. I, I want to just add on this uh, discussion about, you know, COVID and campus and whether people are coming back. I mean, the old sawmill has a stake in how that all gets resolved because of uh, the Sawyer student housing project. So how is that, uh, you know, adapting to or or resonating with, you know, the, the, the debate about what's happening in the fall at the University of Montana? Good question, Arnie, and I'm not sure we know the answer completely. Um, but we we've seen a dramatic increase in lease-up activity in the last several months after the university gave notice that it was intending to open up for this fall. Having said that, though, we took uh, great measures early on in the development to have a very strong one-gig network built for this site. And that is turning out to be a tremendous uh, benefit to the people who, even though they they may be here to be on campus, there's still a lot of work they do online. I think that uh, we're going to see a mix. We're going to see people who are going to be here but still do a lot of their work online. We're going to see a mix, I believe, of in-person and online classes. And ultimately – we have to create, and I think we have, a great place to live, whether or not they're going to their class in person every day. So we've got residents at the Sawyer who are students. We have grad students. We have what I'll call uh, alternative students of all ages. And, in fact, we have non-students that live there as well. So it's a great mix and a great community of people, and it, time will tell how that all unfolds. I think we should do let's do a quick ID. Our guests are Ed and Leslie Weatherby from the old sawmill. And 
Um, question for you both. You know, you're talking about people that are actually coming to the market and maybe going to school, not going to school, et cetera, so forth. I think fate, when faced with the, the, the choice of whether to be in Missoula or to be in some larger place where they've, they, they are coming from, um, you know, part of college or part of university is the socialization aspect, albeit altered a bit with COVID. Um, but perhaps that's why you're seeing, you know, steady, steady rise in leases is people still want to be in the university town, even if they can't go to class live every day. Have you spoken to students and have they shared that with you? I agree, Scott. There is a lot of, there's a lot of what I'll call the culture of being in college that you just can't get by, by doing it online from home. Mm. Uh, and, and uh, if we can create this environment, I will add too that these, our units are designed so everybody has their own private bedroom and bathroom. There is a there's a shared living room and kitchen space, um, and a and and large a large common area, great room, fireplace, um, and study areas. But I I think there's some comfort in having some private space that helps people make that decision. Mm. Um, a traditional shared apartment or shared house may not provide that same level of kind of COVID sensitivity. Um, uh, but and and certainly we didn't go into this design thinking this way. But we always did appreciate that people would like some privacy in a bedroom and bathroom environment, and it's turning out, I think, to be a very positive at this particular time. Yeah, without that, you might as well be in the army. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to also uh, um, ask you about. Uh, C3 work lounge, the co-working space that you have at the old sawmill district. You know, how has that been affected by this change? I mean, on one hand, I could see, you know, more people who need to work from home maybe don't want to sit at home with their family and pets and children and they need a place to go to. On the other hand, when you go to a shared workspace, you are around other people and there might be some sensitivity to that. So how has this played out? for the shared work lounge? You know, we, we did see quite a drop in people um, during the beginning of the whole COVID thing. And, and there were a few that still needed, they were necessary workforce, essential workers. essential workers. And so they, they would still come and um, use their space, but there were very few. We have seen a lot of people come back, but I think they're doing a good job of social distancing and they can still have their space, but we've been able to spread them out so that they're not on top of each other and not being too close. Mm-hmm. But I think that they, I think they really missed that social interaction of, of having coworkers around that they could throw ideas off of and just being able to be around other people. Remember the C3 work lounge comes from a context of entrepreneurship and small business and people who might otherwise be working from home. And many of them, if you were to go in today, uh, I'd say all are wearing masks. And we have done, I think, is a good job of spacing tables, spacing the workspaces, and trying to create an environment that people are comfortable with. And, of course, we have people that are around cleaning, sanitizing all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're doing everything we can to support them. Um, everybody has their own level of sensitivity about about uh, being there. but 
as Leslie said, we, we experienced a, a significant um, concern and, um, and, and, uh, and, and people wanting maybe to stay away from any kind of a, a space like that. But as time has gone on and measures have been taken to help make it safer and, and protect people, uh, we're seeing a level of comfort, not by everybody, but by a lot of people who are saying, look, we, we just need to, to get back to work. And, and if it's a safe environment, then they're comfortable with it. And we hope to be able to provide that. Well, you know, you know, while the debate continues to rage about, you know, individual freedoms and the ability, you know, the right to wear a mask or not wear a mask, the fact that Missoula, you know, instituted a, a you know, mask ordinance, you know, in all public indoor places um, has had, you know, the effect of keeping our uh, number of cases way down compared to Bozeman and other places around the state that haven't done it. Um, and uh, I think that's a credit to the community and also it's a credit to, uh, uh, you know, the businesses that have complied with all of that, that we're, you know, you know, Montana in general is lower than everywhere else, but Missoula for its size has a much lower, uh, you know, COVID case load than comparable cities in this state and in region that haven't invoked a, a, you know, mass regulation. I, I agree, Arnie. And I, I would, I want to give a real shout out to our team. And in particular, when I think of the dog and bicycle cafe, the, the ladies primarily that are working there have really embraced this idea of, of masks and distancing and, and controlling how many people are in any one place. Part, I mean, partly for their own safety, but primarily because we have a family of repeat customers and people are, they know each other by first name and it's a, it's a community that wants to protect each other. And it's a, it's really great to see the level of effort that our staff and I know our customers are making to protect each other. It's really cool to see. Well, particularly in a retail environment, the last thing you want is people to come down with cases associated with, you know, being at the dog and bicycle cafe. I mean, that can be devastating in the, in the, you know, short to medium term in terms of, uh, you know, business viability. How about the, um, how about, I know that you guys have Rio that's that's open. I imagine you've had to take, precautions there given it's a fitness facility. Tell us about that. So one of the things that we're really proud of is we, we constantly get comments on how clean Brio is. And someone made a comment the other day. They said, you know, you expect that when, when um, a business first opens or a gym first opens, but they said, you guys have never gone, let that level go down. We have sanitizers um, that we ask everyone to, to sanitize the equipment after they use it. And we have staff that comes through every so often and sanitizes absolutely everything. So that if mm-hmm. someone happened to forget to do it, but it's, we're just constantly cleaning up there. Um, we have it set up. So there's not a lot of people at one time or limited to how many people can be in there. And it's just, it's, it's been a really nice environment and people are wearing masks while they're working out. You know, and of course, unless they're doing something strenuous, but we have those machines spaced apart so that people are not too close to each other. So it, that's gone really well. You know, Scott, the, the Brio Fitness Center is 
and a, a key amenity for the entire Old Sawmill District development. We have our own in-house property management group. I call it a resort management group just to frame up the the expectations. And with with a staff that we have, we can we can do the right thing at Brio and Dog and Mike and and C3 Workspace Work Lounge and our other we have our own staff that that is very careful, very dedicated to making it a great place to live and work. And so when we when we talk about the Brio Fitness Center, we almost need to think of it in the context of a much larger organization and community and development and it's being taken care of as an important part of the whole the whole complex. So we have that's a that's something that maybe we can do that that others can't do quite as well, but I know that in this world everybody's trying and wants to try to do the right thing and so I'm um, we like to think that that we're we're near the top of that list in terms of keeping it clean and sanitized and a great place to be. And, and what Ed, what other talk about some of the other amenities that are that are available to uh, folks that are either living or working in the, in the, in the complex. Well, we've hit on a lot of it that we so far we have food and beverage. We have the fitness center. We have a co-working lounge, um, and we have a permit now to to construct what we've been calling the sawmill grill uh, restaurant. And in these times, we're we're having to be a little cautious about actually starting that. And and of course, financing is an issue for restaurants in in this particular world. But we do we will be expanding our food and beverage options. We want to create a uh, child care program mm. as part of our next phase. Um, so that's on the drawing boards. We have a, uh, we'll call it a boutique hotel that's very much on our minds and we have the, the location designated for that. So that's, I think that rounds it out pretty well. Um, Food we're looking, truck. Sorry, we're looking at another phase of what will probably be something on the order of about 75 townhomes. Um, and then we're looking at another area that will be cottages and townhomes. Um, so there's, there's a lot to, to happen here over the next couple of years. Right. And, and infra- infrastructure wise is the town. The town is also starting to create greater extensions across the bridge to you guys, right? That's, that's also a focus. Um, yeah, we're, I mean, one of the, one of the, constraints we have, frankly, that we're not quite sure how to overcome yet, is that there's a lot of public infrastructure that's not here. And that's a that's a big challenge and a big cost that um, we're just not sure the real estate market here can absorb. Mm. So when we talk about the cost of of homes and the and the cost of everything being what it is, it's really hard for a developer to, on the one hand, pay what seems like a constantly increasing property tax obligation, and then also pay for the public infrastructure. So mm-hmm. um, that's a burden that I, I you know, you're going to hear a lot about. And Arnie, when when Arnie was asking about <clears throat> what seems like a hot market and and a and a low supply of new units. 
I think there's something to be said for the challenges of developing and creating more residential units. So we're, it's a, it's a big complicated picture that uh, we all need to sit down and resolve somehow, but things don't, things don't happen without somebody having the wherewithal and getting a profit on making an investment. And what are some of those public infrastructure needs that are missing? Well, we've got, we're going to, we have several roads that need to be constructed and there's one uh, significant connector that's called Silver Parkway, which would uh, be a significant uh, uh, connection, a, a secondary connection here in the neighborhood. Um, and then we water and sewer and electricity are the are the key components. We have a we have a trunk line, a, a major a major supply line that comes right down through the middle, but it's the it's the branching out into uh, the next phases that uh, we all need to focus on. Back after this. Struggling with CPAP? And G. Komen, we're committed to reducing U.S. breast cancer deaths by half. We're going to do it by 2026. Visit Komen.org slash unacceptable. Okay, Arnie, we are back. Our guests are Ed and Leslie Weatherby from the Old Sawmill District. You know, we touched earlier on, you know, the housing stock and the costs going up, and and that, that always leads to a conversation about affordable housing. The median two-person um, household income in Missoula is about $56,000 a year, and that, if you follow standard formulas, would uh, would support maybe a $200,000, uh, you know, home mortgage or an apartment that would, you know, be equivalent to that. And, of course, our housing median costs are much higher than that. And there's constant discussion about how do you provide workforce housing and, and housing for for median-income people in, in Missoula. So what's your, what's your take on what we're doing and maybe what we need to do? Good question and a tough question, and there's a lot of people wrestling with that right now. But, you know, you know it's, not, it's not unique to Missoula. It, no. It's a conversation that's happening everywhere, and it always has been happening. I think that's, a, I think that's something that we all need to, to remember, is that there's not anything really unique about this particular time or, the, or this particular discussion in Missoula. This is happening and has been happening everywhere since I can, anywhere I've ever lived. Um, and <clears throat> there is... There is a need for sure, and the question is, who's providing the subsidy and where should that be done? And what's the best planning for the, this, the, the overall housing or, or development prospects in Missoula? You know, when we started Old Salmo District, we, we worked closely with Homeward and created a subsidized workforce, low-income housing project. And they did a great job with that right here at the old Salmo district. So we're, we're proud to, to say that, that we were a catalyst in helping making that happen. Um, there's, <clears throat> but there will always be a need for, for more workforce housing. And uh, typically that's, that's easier to do on 
uh, in a, in a suburban or, or an area that's not quite in the high value core part of, of a city. But there's lots of different ways that people are looking at, at trying to help with that. And as you know, this, the, the other side of the equation is two sides to that is, you know, the household income and a lot of what is going on at the old sawmill district is, you know, helps to increase that side of the equation. The two, three hundred, you know, jobs in the new uh, tech campus are not going to be just minimum wage jobs or average wage jobs. They're going to be, you know, much higher wage jobs. And the workforce in Missoula is changing definitely from the time, for example, Leslie, when you were growing up here, the, this is not the same kind of workforce that was here, you know, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. That's right. You know, when I was growing up here, you, you, there were quite a few different mills here, and a lot of people worked in the mills. They worked on the railroad, um, and uh, it was much more blue-collar workers here. A lot of skilled labor, but in, in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, that was, in, in a lot of ways, this transition is following the technology curve as well. And that when we, when, when Cognizant and many of the other tech workers in town, you know, they're making very good incomes and they have prospects for careers that will make them, you know, take them to executive level type compensation over time. And that's been that you you can't look around right now and see where there have been too many of those pathways in Missoula in the past. So yeah, I think the average uh, the average tech job in Missoula now is over eighty thousand dollars a year. That doesn't surprise me. You know, and if you have two people working in a family, a young family in particular, then you're uh, you know then you have a, a dynamic which offsets you know, the cost of building new, uh, new homes and, uh, and how real estate keeps, uh, you know, moving up and, and, uh, in increasing in value here. You know, if you look at other university towns, they they are often, uh, burdened, if you will, with more people who want to live there than jobs are available. And that you, you often have very highly educated people, people with great experience who, are willing to take less money to work in a great, where they consider a great place to live or to raise their kids. And so that often has a result of depressing compensation because it's a, it's a more competitive marketplace. But, you know, having said that, I, we all need to, to understand that costs continue to rise um, and that incomes hopefully will continue to rise. And the question really is, you know, what is the, what does the workforce need to look like in order to, to, um, to capitalize on the opportunities that are coming down the road? And at the same time, we need to respect the fact that there have been a lot of people here who have different level of skills, um, and, uh, they have incomes that may be limited in some ways, and we, I think we all look to try to create housing and opportunities for those people as well. So um, I'm a big believer in having a, a, a varied and a diverse demographic in that 
that provides the the real texture and and makes places a great place to live. So I think we need to support all of that. It's it's uh, a lot of it just comes down to money and who's going to pay for it. And um, then sometimes that comes back to the public financing for paying for infrastructure and and things like that that help keep the cost of these of the of real estate down. Speaking of that, you talked about diversity in workforce, and that leads to looking at you know construction workforce. You're going to build two new buildings with 45,000 square feet. There's a lot of other projects going on around town. What is the what what is the sort of the uh, the profile of the uh, of uh, or the overview of the construction industry in Missoula. It's a really good question, and I I would like to answer that tomorrow if we were to do this again because <laughs> because uh, this afternoon we are opening bids on uh, bids for the construction of the new buildings we were just talking about. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a, a real interesting benchmark into just what is happening out there. My Intuition is that some of the large projects that have been on the drawing boards are not on the drawing boards right now. And so the level of construction activity has decreased fairly significantly in terms of big commercial projects and how that impacts cost uh, will be interesting to Right. Well, the whole, the whole, uh, uh, you know, sort of golden triangle, um, uh, new hotel development, uh, you know the stuff that was uh, that was being contemplated to have broken ground this summer obviously is not happening i yeah arnie i will I, I think it's a time to make the point that because of everything that's going on in the economy and the covid situation the access to capital is even more difficult than it had been already so that is that is holding a lot of things back. At the same time, it seems like there's a lot of home building construction that's that is going on. So it may be that there's a difference in terms of just parts of the industry that that the contractors yeah. and subcontractors that focus on home building might be very busy, but the contractors, the larger contractors doing big big projects might not be. Right. Well, the, you know, the Wave Hotel, you know, Nick Chakota's projects look like they're on hold. But if you go around and take a look at uh, at uh, Ranch Club, there's houses being built all over that property at this point in time. And out uh, where Scott and I live at uh, Circle H Ranch, we have the first two new houses being built in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of home, you know, from what I can see, a lot of home construction going on. But the big commercial kinds of projects seem to... Uh, except for your groundbreaking, seem to be a bit on hold at the moment. I agree. You know, we lived through a period over the last several years where we felt at somewhat at the mercy of these contractors who had much more work available than capacity to fill. And uh, um, we're, and we know that, that costs were, higher than maybe they should have been. But we're hoping now that maybe we're seeing a bit more of an equilibrium and maybe prices should be uh, where we would expect them to be normally. Well, hopefully those bids will reflect that. Let me ask you about the Weatherby Group Real Estate. That's a new uh, entity that has emerged, uh, you know, not too uh, distant past. What, what was your right and Leslie's thinking on uh, on creating your your own uh, real estate group? 
Well, um, so I, I've been in real estate for several years now. We've been working on this on many years and, and doing this a lot of uh, the real estate down at Old Sawmill District. And we just decided it was time to start our own brokerage firm. And we're really excited about that. We are still doing stuff here at Old Sawmill District, but we're also branching out and we're working with other buyers and sellers as well throughout the Missoula area. And um, it is just, it's exciting. It's that we've got three licensed agents that are working primarily um, helping people and, and, um, and we're excited to offer that. You know, we have a neighborhood now here where there's when, when everything is full and it's getting closer to being full that we may have 500 or so people living here already. And when you think about life in general, there's always somebody who's looking to, they're in transition. They're looking to build a house or buy a house or they're selling a house in order to come here. And so there's a lot of activity, uh, in just, just based on, on, uh, normal life transitions. And we, after we develop relationships with the people here, we like to think that we can help them, uh, move on or, or facilitate them coming here. But there's, there's also just a, a lot of activity in general and given, the staff that we've developed and the great team of people here, we feel like we've got a lot of Missoula history and, and a lot of experience that we can use to help people. That's fantastic. Hey, in a, we have to wrap it up. How can people find out more information about both the old sawmill and, and the new entity? Uh, so they can reach us at our office, 406-203-3015, or feel free to email me at leslie at old sawmill district.com. Fantastic. And, you know, we appreciate you guys coming on. You're always delightful guests and always, you know, forthright and transparent. And uh, I feel great optimism for Missoula after speaking to you and just, you know, the trends that are going forward. So thank you. Well, thanks for, thanks for having us. And I, I like to, say, you know, thank you guys for not only this segment, but the other work that you do, because there is a lot going on in Missoula and it's, it's great for other, it's great for a broader audience to be able to, to hear what you guys are doing. Well, thank you. We like, we like, we're proud of where we live and we like to uh, share the, the stories of what's going on in our community. And we have a great community and yeah. you, you know, what you've done over there has made it uh, a lot better. And, and, uh, has contributed to the, I think, the contemporization and the modern modernization of, of Missoula more than any other single project in uh, in the area. So uh, uh, I think Scott and I thank you for that. Well, thanks. That's thank nice you. to hear. Absolutely. Well, we'll catch up with. We'll do an update, and then you know, in six months from now, we'll see how things are going. Perfect. Sounds great. Talk to you then. Take care. When it comes to two 